All right, what up, everybody? Welcome to episode 97 of the Nidwele podcast. I'm Stuart Anderson. This is just a short introduction before we hear from Cheryl Jordan and Sarah Kaufman, Coach Sarah. Grateful for Chair who introduced this topic to us. Uh, Sarah's got some great information for Masters athletes, uh, some new information, some studies that are coming out about Zone 2 training and uh, what you should be doing when it comes to your own personal training plan, weightlifting, and uh, just some great uh, suggestions for what you can be doing during the winter, either with a coach or without a coach. So grateful for Sarah and all she does for Utah Cycling, uh, an incredible ambassador for all of our high school students. Uh, she is a, a, at all the races, whether she's announcing or just supporting the NICA leagues. So big love to Sarah and uh, Chair for being on this episode. Thanks for their time. couple brief announcements. The team store is open. So right now our black and white kits are available. Uh, these are all from Vole. Uh, so so the, the kit store will be open until January 8th. Uh, so go and get your kits, make orders. I know we've already done a, an order for the anniversary, the 40th anniversary kits, which was super fun. So these are just for our normal everyday uh, kits that we wear as a team. We will reorder the 40th anniversary store. We'll open that back up, uh, but it's not going to be for, for a couple months. So that's, uh, that's great. Um, team store is open, uh, camp dates. So camp will be April 11th through the 13th down in St. George. We're really looking forward to that. And, uh, the website team website's got information there about rides, what time to be there. And, uh, we'll, we'll be constantly updating that, uh, when we get more information about, uh, team camp. Uh, one final thing, the yellow Jersey. So every year we hope to honor and award the leaders on our team, uh, those who are part of the Miduele team who exemplify passion and strength, the legacy of the team, uh, who are true leaders that we, we hope that everyone can look to. And uh, there's a nomination form where you can nominate your peers, those who have made a difference, uh, not only to you, but also on the team. And this is a great time to do that. We kind of have that uh, nomination process open. Uh, so please do so. There was an email sent out to everybody on the team that asks for your nominations for Yellow Jersey to honor uh, our team mem- team members. All right, that's it. Uh, grateful for all of our incredible sponsors who are once again with us for 2024. Uh, thankful for those who have uh, even played a bigger role. Uh, Jack Bourne and Epic Ventures uh, move from the back pocket up to the shoulder. We're grateful for Jack and thankful uh, for not only his strength on the team, his example, but also his sponsorship. So huge shout out to him. Also, uh, Eric Ellis with Formula 369 is now going to be on the side panel of our jersey. Awesome to see Eric's journey as he's developed Formula 369, and we're grateful to be a part of it as a team. So, All right, long introduction. Thanks for hanging on. Uh, hopefully you enjoy this episode with Coach Sarah, and thanks for tuning in. All right, bye. All right, welcome. Episode 97. What's up, everybody? Uh, joined by Sarah Kaufman. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Stuart. Thanks for having me. We're so grateful to have you here. Uh, I just pasted, I listened to the first 10 minutes of our December 8th, 2020 podcast when me, when me and you and Doug were on a podcast. That's like three, I mean, that's a long time ago. Yeah, that's pretty wild. It was, it was uh, three years ago. Yeah. And here we are. We're still doing podcasts, mm-hmm. I guess. You guys don't need to see the numbers of who's listening, but just kidding. It's good. <laughs> Hi, Cheryl. Cheryl Jordan with us as well. Hi. Hello. Cheryl's a rock and her Miduele hoodie. Very good. I used to have <laughs> University of Utah gear as plentiful as Miduele gear in my closet. And now Miduele's taken over. So, yep. but at least the colors are transferable. I can wear them to the Utah athletic yeah. events. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so grateful. Chair and Chair set this up. Uh, it was really fun to have her. Yeah, I am actually grateful when somebody wants to be on uh to share and be a part of the podcast so it was really fun to have sarah on sarah i felt like we i was trying to hold back how excited i was to see you at the nike races that was so fun oh yeah i i love it um i doing the announcing it's like it just gets me out there um to experience the nike scene which is just kind of insane at this point it is insane we were talking about the state championship race like how is it if it grows anymore it's gonna be impossible to do any more kids at an event for mountain biking that cedar city thing was that was crazy yeah i mean i think they are already talking about splitting into eight regions you know they're currently at six 
Um, and the state champs is kind of the one where everybody comes together, um, you know, and I, I don't know, I guess it's been a few years now that they've, it's like, you have to qualify for state champs in most categories. Right. So they'll have to do some additional qualification. I know. I feel like we're headed towards like a five day race, like all week. Yeah. <laughs> it is so fun to see though. We started with my son Ryder racing in like 2015. And I think he was in seventh grade on the Devo team. And there were like a few hundred kids, maybe yeah. the races, um, not like girls. And then by the time he did his um, senior year in 2019, you know, it was at 4,000. So it's just oh my goodness. To see what happened in like five years. It just blew up. Sarah, you probably know better than me. How is Utah the biggest uh, high school mountain bike league in the country? Yeah, by quite a bit. What? Mm -hmm. uh oh, hold on. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, okay. but it's, um, it's quite a bit bigger than the other leagues. Um, I want to say, California, California, they did split. I think they're two. They may have split to three. I can't remember. Um, but I mean, you know, we're looking at at Utah with six regions. It's so it's, um, yeah. I think most of NICA or Utah is a significant portion of NICA at this point. Very cool. And do you still uh, participate on their board? Yes. Yep. Yes. I'm on the board. Awesome. Very cool. Good job. Okay. Okay. I got to introduce you guys formally. Should I do that? An official introduction? Okay, Sarah. Uh, Sarah's raced all over the world as a, as high as world cup level. Are you kidding me? What does that even mean? That's like Europe, right? Um, I did a handful of world cups, uh, North American world Cups. So I think I did four or five, like, um, I'm sure you've heard of Mont St. Anne in mm -hmm. uh, Quebec. I did that one, I think three times. And there used to be a world cup in New York state that I did, I think also three times. So that's adds up to six, but at any rate, I raised a handful of world cups in the, in North America. Well, whatever comes after this as part of an introduction, that's all you really need to know. Okay. You're talking to a world-class uh, racer. So very good. She went on to race single day endurance and mountain bike stage races and started casually coaching in 2010 to 2012. And then in 2012, more formally, right? You started coaching more formally in 2012, uh, started her own coaching business in 2017 and uh, has been under your that brand since then, which is really fun. Um, I was I, you have the two you run the simultaneous Instagram pages, your own personal one and your coaching one. Uh, it's fun to watch. I I mean I'm an avid follower, so very good. Thanks. Uh, you stepped away from elite racing, but you say honestly, I've had more fun and feeling more invested in racing uh, the racing of the people that you coach. Now she just races local cyclocross series to scratch the itch without the same level of commitment and sacrifice. But casually, she did just win the series. So very good. <laughs> so good. Awesome. Sure. Uh, anything I missed about Sarah that you wanted to add that you felt she needs to be, we need to include there. Oh, she, I mean, the reason I thought it would be so beneficial to have her on here is she has so much knowledge to share um, I mean, case in point, we, you know, we're kind of looking for some bullet points on this podcast we're doing today and she can just go for pages and pages and pages. So I just thought I, I have the uh, benefit of getting to ride with her and, and talk with her about a lot of training topics. And I thought it'd be so wonderful for everyone to, to hear what I get to hear and learn from her. I agree. Very good. Chair, let's introduce you real quick. Is that okay? Yep. Okay. Very good. Uh, so chair, I like this. She's been riding bikes for 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> Ironmans and coach triathletes. Okay. That's like a bit, a little humble, but I mean, it's all good chair. Very good. Um, <laughs> she also, uh, many of you know, Lodija, she's done it twice and two second place finishes overall. And fortunately, unfortunately you did snow to Joe. Was that 2005? I can't remember yes. what year it was. Ooh. Yes. Yep. It's, Just it's real, real quick. How did you, did you ever stop? Did you like get in a car? Like what happened? No car. Um, okay. So I had just had a baby in September mm -hmm. the year before and decided that, um, a fun thing to get back in shape would be to do my first marathon. So I did a marathon the following April. I finished that. And then about May, a friend of mine said, Hey, we should do Lodija. And I'd never done anything like that. And I said, sure. 
So I kind of got on my bike and trained for a few months and we showed up and we decided we were going to stick together. And as a lot of, some of, you know, Dave Sharp and others that were there that year, it started snowing. Um, it got to the point where trying to come down the main pass into Montpelier, mm -hmm. uh, I was so cold. It was slippery. My hands weren't working. I knew it was super unsafe. So I pulled over and I thought I've got to call for help. And I had a flip phone because that's what we had back then. <laughs> and I could not open my phone because my hands were so cold. Oh, I couldn't man. break. So I just had to let it fly. We got to Montpelier and people were piling into buses and warming up and Sharp would know the exact number, but I think it was about a 50% DNF. So my friend and I drank some hot things. I was a rookie. AJ was a rookie Sherpa. So I don't know if I had much to put on new clothes. <laughs> I don't think I did. Um, and then we were like, well, should we just get a hundred miles? Like we're out here, let's get to the pretty part. So we rode, we hit a hundred miles. The sun kind of started coming out and we're like, let's just get this done. Well, it started pouring rain. Um, she lost both of her contacts. Oh my goodness. And then we we're, we stopped at a feed zone and AJ said, hey, there's only one woman in front of you guys. She's with a pack of guys, unfortunately, but she's not that far ahead. And I'm like, well, let's just do this. And she couldn't see. So I'm like, just get on my wheel. It's pouring rain. And we're just like for 80 miles, I just pulled her and we finished. And so we were thrilled to have made it finished. And then I just had to come back the next year just to do a sunny one, oh, a different friend that wanted to do it. And so. ironic, and ironically, she continued because she wanted to see the pretty parts, but then couldn't see it. She was blind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did you get just, good weather just... the next year? And the next year was beautiful weather. Yeah. I had the best time. Yeah, um, I was in a break of five ladies, and we stayed away. And yeah, it was good. Cool. Uh, Chair works in the corporate world. She has an MBA, and uh, says product creation and marketing for twenty five years. I did not know that. Chair for what yeah. company? Um, all sorts of companies, uh, Franklin Covey, Zag, uh, some architectural products. Cool. Um, yeah. So I did that and then burned out and mm -hmm. then pivoted about six years ago to commercial real estate, mostly office space. And then now I'm kind of ramping into retirement and oh. um, selectively choosing some projects to work on and then starting um, to do more volunteer work. So very good. Yeah. With trips to Italy. That we don't with uh, some key Europe travel. <laughs> yes, because I'm like trying to kudo the rides multiple times. Like <laughs> that is fun. And uh, you two, can you talk about how you know each other? I know you ride a lot together with a really cool group of, of women that um, we all admire. But um, can you talk about that real quick? Yeah, I saw Sarah announcing a Nike race and I just went up and introduced myself. I'm like, man, she's cool. And I think she's a pro mountain biker and golf. If I ever someday decide to have a coach again, man, she'd be awesome. And then I think eventually we connected through Melissa, our mutual friend, and kind of started writing together. And I asked her to coach me in 2021. And that's the only time I've had a coach in a number of years and um, had a great time working with her. I've been a coach, I've coached triathletes. I feel like I've been in the sport a long time and I still learn from her every day. Um, she's a, a student of the sport and she loves science and she continues to research. We're both sort of data geeks. Um, <laughs> and so I had a great experience working with her and then kind of had health issues and just kind of stopped, you know, kind of really training consistently and focused on racing. So, um, but if I ever had a coach again, it would be Sarah. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm going to share my screen. Sarah posted this last night on her Instagram page that, um, since the beginning of November, she's brought on or onboarded more new athletes than she's ever had in a single month. How cool is that? It's been a huge amount of work and fulfilling, and she's beyond excited for 2024, uh, to be on a journey with all of you. That's what she wrote. How how cool is this, um, Sarah? Can you talk about, I mean, I don't want you to, you don't have to share. Why is this happening? What do you think? What's going on? Who are all these athletes? Are these, um, is there something that's changed or shifted or or is this just um, you being awesome and, and people <laughs> knowing about it? What's going on? I, so I actually have thought about this a lot. Um, 
I think that uh, my coaching, like, I mean, of course, I always want to get better, but I think what I've really gotten better at more recently is um, the messaging around my coaching and kind of what specifically I'm good at. I think what I'm really good at is um, educating athletes to learn about themselves because, you know, ultimately a coach is only as good as an athlete can provide info. You know, I'm going to, when I write a customized training plan, I'm using my, the best information that I have to, to make the plan as perfect as it can be for the athlete. But ultimately the, the information that the athlete provides me is always going to make me a better coach. And so I think I've just gotten a little bit better about the messaging around mm. how I do that, why I do that, why I think it's really important. And, um, you know, I, I guess I, I think, and I hope that that's resonated with people and, um, inspired them to hire me to coach them. Sure. Mm -hmm. I agree. Very good. Chair, what do you think? What do you think, Chair? Why are there more athletes gravitating here to Sarah as a coach? Any thoughts? Oh, I think um, she's so good at working with a wide variety of people, you know, from, from beginners to professionals, all ages, all types of events. I mean, she's just had such a wide range of experience. And I think she just really, really cares. And, um, that goes a long way, you know, when you've got somebody in your corner that, you know, they, they know the answers and if they don't, they're going to find out, um, and give you all of the resources possible. And that's, that's Sarah. Chair's yeah. my, my hype crew. Dude, <laughs> she's the best. I'm the publicist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're going to start having to come through me to get access. <laughs> Let's, we've got a lot of topics and we, we talked before we started recording about how fun it would be to do a multi-series. We don't want to rush anything, Sarah. So let's just, um, share the content that you think would be fun. You know, our team, you know, how we ride and you kind of know, uh, athletes like us. Uh, so let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about being at the base of immigration at 6am on a Monday morning and, uh, <laughs> how you would, um, make sure that people who are interested in becoming better cyclists would handle that situation. Is that a good place to start? Sure. Let's yeah. I mean, I guess I would back up and just say that um, I think sometimes people are a little bit hesitant to hire a coach when they have a ride like this, that's really important to them. And I always feel like if you have a, a ride, a social ride that you love to do, that's really meaningful for you. Um, you know, apart from any training goals, I, think it's really important to include it in the plan. If it's, if it's important for you, no matter what the training stimulus is, we can find a way to, to make it work in the plan. And the way I usually do that is, um, you know, I kind of ask the person like, what is this ride like for you? How hard is it? And then once we get in a couple weeks and now I have a couple training files with, you know, being able to look at that ride, then I can see kind of exactly what stimulus they're getting from the ride because, you know, a rider who's kind of really strong relative to the group, who's pulling really steady at the front, they're going to get a different stimulus than a rider who's like yo-yoing at the back. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you get kind of sweet spot tempo work or threshold at the front. Um, maybe you're getting like anaerobic capacity if you're kind of dangling at the back. So we can utilize that. We can always find a way to make it um, fit into a plan and um, group rides are super motivating. A lot of times you can go a lot deeper in a group ride than you might go on a set of intervals on your own. And so um, I really just try to make use of that. I think um, everybody has fun on group rides and we can, we can really make use of that in a, in a training plan. Yeah. And can you just say how fun Sarah's uh, group rides are that she puts together <laughs> And I mean, let me tell you, there are days when I'm like, oh man, I, this is going to be embarrassing. Like I'm going to get dropped so fast. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I want to do this. And plus it's kind of cold and all those things that we think about. And honestly, every time I do it, like, I'm so happy I do it. It pushes me so much harder than I can do in training, um, on my own. And, you know, sometimes you just have to like, like check the ego at the door. And just, you know, that's how you get better. And I'm not as fast as I used to be, but, you know, I can still uh, have fun on these rides and, and get a really good workout. Yeah. I also, as a mountain biker, I really appreciate group road rides for this because you, you can't do that on a mountain bike where you can get a, a pretty wide range of fitness together and everybody can stay together on a group road ride that, that isn't really possible on the mountain bike, but 
given the way drafting works, you can really keep a group together and everybody kind of has fun, works hard. Um, so that's something that as a mountain biker, I really appreciate. And also just the aspect of, man, there is something about turning yourself inside out to hold a wheel that mm -hmm. we never get to do on the mountain bike. Um, and I, I mean, it's like I said, you just kind of go a little bit deeper than you, you do by yourself when, um, you kind of take away every aspect of like every mental task of, um, setting the pace when you're just following a wheel, you're kind of stripped to absolutely nothing except burying yourself to stay on that wheel. And I really love that. And I think, um, we can get a lot out of that, yeah. um, in training. Yeah. Kristen often, um, there was like a really interesting part when Kristen would show up to group rides with all the Miduele guys and constantly feel like this is kind of silly and why am I coming? But then all of a sudden after like six months, you know, she's riding with the guys hanging in the back and getting this incredible stimulus and workout, uh, just by being pushed. Well, maybe pushed by anger, <laughs> whatever, it takes. <laughs> whatever it takes to hang on to the group. And I agree. Uh, very cool. The, the second thing that you, that you're going to share, um, Sarah though, is, you know, and I've learned this over the last uh, couple of years is if this is the only thing that we're doing as a team, as athletes, um, is showing up and doing like group rides together, we're missing a huge part of stimulus when it comes to, to training and, uh, working together. Um, can you talk about that? Your little second point here about, um, why it's important to include more than just these team rides. Yeah. I mean, I, again, like, I think Kristen's a great example, right? She kept, she kept going back. She probably hung on a little bit longer, a little bit longer each time. Um, you know, and that's going to be over, over time. Um, but it is when you're kind of just doing the same thing week after week, um, you know, in order to build fitness, we need a new stimulus. And so that can be in the form of a group ride. If it's, um, it, as long as it is worked around kind of progressive training apart from that. Um, so when you're, when you constantly do the same group ride, as if you are doing other training that is, um, complementing that kind of filling the other holes within, um, your fitness, then you will kind of continue to progress. But if it's just the same thing over and over, then you do start to develop these holes, whatever intensities aren't being touched on, on the group ride, that kind of thing. Um, so for me, you know, when I look at a rider, who's doing a group ride week after week, I'm going to look at, you know, what intensities are not being, uh, touched on in that group ride, you know, and that's in the context of, um, you know, what their specific needs are, where they're at in a race season. Um, and we try to fill those holes in other workouts that can get tricky. You know, if the group ride is like so hard that they're not recovering in order to be able to do these other high intensity workouts, um, you know, that's when we kind of might start to negotiate like the frequency of doing a group ride. But, um, yeah, I mean, as long as you are touching on other aspects of your fitness, then I think um, we don't we don't see those holes kind of develop. Does that? Is, yeah, yes. is that clear? Chair, follow up questions. Anything? Good. Okay, okay. I mean, Sarah, you talked about this in this little paragraph, though, that uh, which I think is important. That sometimes you say uh, we talk about the holes that develop when people just do group grinds and how that can lead to burnout. Can you talk about that just a little more? Yeah. I mean, I think like when, when you kind of keep doing the same thing, you, if you are seeing progress, you're kind of motivated to continue. Um, but if you keep doing the same thing and you're not seeing progress, that can be, that's not motivating at all. Um, and then you start um, missing some of the consistency and, I guess I see this a lot with people feeling burned out in like July and August who have been doing group rides all year and maybe missing some more specific intervals. Um, whereas when we, when we are targeting other um, intensities that are getting missed in the group ride, kind of filling those holes that I mentioned, then we don't see that same level of burnout, um, particularly in the middle of the season. Yeah. I mean, it's one of my biggest concerns 
working with a coach or, or working with a plan. I talked to AJ Chair recently, and he talked about downloading some plans and looking through them and working through how that works. I'm always so concerned about, well, how will this affect when when outcomes are ride from Scotty Miles Wednesday night at nine o'clock? I'm like, well, obviously I have to go to that. I can't I can't not go to ride three towers. I mean, of course I'm gonna do that. Uh, but I really think that you are correct in that there's there's a motivating factor that comes from seeing progress from doing it right. Um, that you're like, man, I'm going as hard as I can, but for some reason I'm not getting any faster. That's frustrating. And it leads to like, you're, you, it kind of gets demotivating. You're like, this is kind of not fun. I'm not getting any faster. It still feels really hard. Um, so I agree. I mean, it's a, how the stimulus never changes ride after ride. Uh, very yeah, smart. those, those kind of, um, spontaneous friend rides are super tricky. Um, <laughs> I get it, you know, when you see it and you want to do it and you feel like you're going to, you know, you have FOMO if you don't go. Um, that's the kind of thing that I feel like a coach would probably want to negotiate. Like, you know, like I said, if it's meaningful and important for you, then I would always try to include it whenever possible. But you probably you probably want to start negotiating um, or being a little bit strategic about which ones you do include and which ones you don't. Um and, you know, maybe it's like, um, well, this week, the super fast friend wants to go on a ride and you know, it's going to be super hard and that does work in the program. So you're going to add it. But next week when that same fast friend asks, um, but you also have an opportunity to go do like an easier ride, maybe with another group of friends. I, I don't know. You can start to be a little bit strategic about which ones you say yes to, um, you know, within like a, a context of periodized training. Nice. I think what, sure. makes, it, yeah, yeah, go what ahead. makes it a little easier for me is I kind of, before the week starts, there's probably th three key workouts that I'm going to put in for myself that I know I want to do right. just depending on the time of year and what I'm doing. One might be shorter intervals. One might be more of a tempo and one might be longer. And so those are kind of in there. And if those, if I can make one of those work with a buddy, um, I will like, there's times when Melissa also needs to do some kind of intervals and we're very different speeds, but we can warm up together. We can regroup on recovery. We can ride home together. So we've both gotten the training stimulus we needed to get yet. We got to get out and ride with a buddy. And then I like to keep, you know, two, two or three more opportunities in the week to do whatever sounds fun. And so again, it just depends. Like if I'm coming up close to a race, I'm going to be a little more specific, but if I'm not, then, you know, somebody reaches out, I can do it. But oftentimes I'm the one reaching out so that I can kind of control when nice. it is and what we're doing. <laughs> um, and a lot of times, you know, we know that the intent of the ride before we go out, right? Like, is this a coffee ride? Is this a, you know, easy spin? Do we need to do some tempo? Are we going to go up one Canyon hard? Like, we're kind of having the conversation. So we know what to expect and are we regrouping, you know, are we yeah. racing? What are we doing? <laughs> I, I love that. I mean, she's, you know, talking about the same thing, like just being a little bit strategic about what you say yes to and kind of figuring out how it fits into um, the larger plan. And also I think, you know, if you do say yes spontaneously to a really super hard ride, because it's, important or meaningful for you or whatever it is, you know, as long as you then modify downstream workouts, that can mm. also be, be workable. But again, just being a little bit strategic and not saying yes to every single one, um, making sure that there is some recovery in there, um, and that you're not, you know, just kind of doing the same thing week after week without progression. Yeah. Smart. Very good. Cool. Um, let's, let's talk for a little bit. Um, Sarah, you said, um, we can go into time saving and, and maximizing. Um, and we talked, we actually talked about this, the first, in your first podcast with Doug is, is if there were things that we were going to work on that were the smartest, uh, when we're talking about time saving and maximizing workouts and intervals, um, can we talk about that for a minute, what you would recommend and and how you would go about incorporating those into workouts? Yeah, I mean, this is really individual depending on what one person needs given their particular kind of power profile. Um, but I think I mentioned here that like 
we have, um, given where we live and that, you know, a, a, outside of the winter season, we can, um, most of us can get to the base of a canyon, which is kind of the optimal spot to execute a set of intervals. We can get to the base of a canyon pretty easily, um, you know, and, and then in the winter, it's like if you're riding the trainer, that's a really good place to execute intervals with um, a lot of precision. And so my point was that um, doing intervals is like when you are targeting a specific um, training intensity, you are going to get much more out of that workout than if you're kind of going out, you know, we hear people talk about like kind of riding at that medium intensity all the time. You kind of, mm -hmm. you're never rested enough to go super hard and you're also never riding easy enough, you know, because you're never riding easy enough to really recover. Um, so if you are resting and then doing your hard intervals and you're able to actually go hard for your hard intervals, um, you know, you can probably bang out an interval set in, 60, 90 minutes, as opposed to like, you know, the equivalent three hour ride, um, where you're kind of being not, you're not being specific with the training intensity that you're targeting. So my point there was doing a set of intervals saves you a lot of time as opposed to, um, just doing a non-specific ride. <laughs> what do they call it? The black zone. Is that what it's called? Where I'm constantly training. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, my point down below foreshadowing a little bit is that I think in some ways we're just trading that um, always riding at zone three for now, always riding in zone two. Um, I just highlighted it. She has a hot take on zone two. I can't wait to get to it. Well, Chair, did you have anything else to add on kind of maximizing and time saving? Yeah, I just want to say um, in terms of intervals, um, two uh, kind of cool things that I learned from Sarah. One is if you have a workout from your coach and training peaks, or if you write your own, which I do a lot, just because having a workout makes it sometimes more interesting for me, um, it will download right to your Garmin or to your Wahoo. And so you don't even have to think about it. You're, you know, your warm up's done and now it's telling you, you need to do X number of Watts for X number of minutes. And it just kind of takes a little bit, uh, it just makes it even easier. The other thing I, kind of started learning when I was working with her is you need to take a look at the workout before you start and really think about where a good place is to do it. Like if yeah. you think you're going to roll up and down Wasatch and get the right training stimulants, you know, maybe not, you might need to find a six minute hill or, mm. uh, even better when you get specific and, um, you know, Oh, okay. Big cotton would be a good one for this because of, you know, the distance and the time, whatever. So, but I, I think intervals, interval training for me has taken so much more prominence in what I do now versus, um, the, well, we'll get into it, but the long, the, just the, the focus on zone two, especially throughout the entire winter. Um, and because it's not a, a podcast without mentioning AJ, yes. uh, that's all he used to do just zone two all winter. Hmm. And we would be in our little, um, back then it was basically a training closet. It was, it was not a good setup like we have now. And he would just be watching his VHS tapes of like no. creases or whatever. Yes. Spinning in zone two all winter. And I'm next to him just listening to music and just banging out, you know, intervals. And, um, even he's changed his tune a little bit. So we'll kind of get into that when we talk a little bit more about zone two. That's fun. Sarah, what does this mean? Um, you had mentioned here that uh, uh, organic, unplanned, and open-ended intensity is important too. Can you talk about that? Oh, I guess I just, um, you know, as much as I think doing intervals is really important, um, and and personally, you know, just like Cheryl said, I love having a goal when I roll out the door, like, okay, I know I have this interval set I need to do. I know exactly where I'm going to do it. I can go bang it out and then I'm done. Um, and there's kind of no question, like I checked the box that day. Um, but, you know, I think we all got into riding bikes because we love, you know, that feeling of freedom when you get on your bike and you just roll out the door, the wind in your hair, whatever. Um, and so I always include just like open fun rides, ride how you feel. Um, I think that is really important too. And again, getting into what we, the kind of the next topic, this zone two, um, I think we've become so obsessed with these zones and I'm just like, 
we need to just go out and ride and not look at a power target. There are days when, yes, you're going to be watching a specific intensity, but I think it's so important for us to just go out and ride how we feel. Hmm. Um, so I guess my point is just that that's an important thing to include in any training program as well. I agree. And I've heard a lot of athletes say that as well, just to be a healthier rider overall. Yeah. Yep. Sir, maybe you uh, you had another hot take recently on your Instagram about erg mode. Can we talk about that for oh, a sec? Yeah. Does that fit in right here? Yeah, it does. I mean, so again, this is going back to what I said earlier, The what I really focus on with my coaching, which is getting people to listen to their body and learn learn how to listen to their body. And I think that with the advent of all the technology that we have now, which is really cool, um, I think we are so distracted by all of our devices and all these numbers coming at us that we're forgetting how to just listen to our body and erg mode fits into that because when you for example even with a very specific workout where you are going outside to execute a set of intervals you are controlling the intensity as opposed to when you get onto a bike trainer that is holding the intensity for you um, mm. you're just losing that feedback loop of how do i actually feel and beyond that, do I feel the way these intervals are supposed to feel? Like if you're targeting a specific intensity, um, yeah, you might be able to hold a specific intensity, but is it actually the correct one? Are you, are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Um, and then, yes, yeah, certainly for newer riders, like I almost always see newer riders by the end of a hard erg mode uh, the end of a hard interval session in erg mode, it's like their cadence is down 40, 50, 60, um, mm. because they just, they haven't learned yet. Um, so I think certainly avoiding erg mode is really important for newer riders, for more experienced riders where these feedback loops are kind of already, um, established. I, I worry about it less. Um, and if it helps them, you know, if they're mentally tired, they want to just turn their brain off and do the workout in erg mode, that's fine. But um, I think every once in a while, everybody should do it in resistance mode. And I think for new riders, the bulk of their work on the trainer should be in resistance mode. Tara, what do you think? I don't use erg mode. Um, no I want to be able okay. to vary my cadence uh, throughout a workout or even just a spin. I want to control um, what the gearing is. Um, but just for me, I think it keeps me focused and you know, engaged. And I mean, even an easy spin, like then you should just be, you know, letting your body dictate what cadence feels good. So I, I personally don't ever use it. Should we do a contest right now for the Midwelle group me? The first person to describe what erg means. <laughs> Wait, I actually just um what, what is an erg? Is it an acronym? No, is it, it comes from ergometer, I think. Um yeah. like the rowing machines, right? Yes, yeah, exactly. Okay. I actually have the dictionary pulled. A unit <laughs> of work or energy equal to the work done by a force of one dyne, D-Y-N-E, when its point of application moves one centimeter in the direction of action of the force. That sounds silly. How about that? I thought it was an Scotty acronym. Miles. I we thought it was an acronym for like something. Scotty Miles or somebody <laughs> to explain this to us. <laughs> that was funny. Okay. An erg. Very good. One erg. All right. She's nervous. She's nervous to get into it. Zone two. Let's do it. Yeah. I mean, I, I just kind of said that because I think people are really dogmatic about this. It's like um, if you ask somebody about their diet, they're going to be, um, you know, people are just emotional about this stuff for whatever reason. But um yeah, the I just take issue with this kind of current obsession with zone two, and that's not to say that it doesn't have um, benefits. I think it is really important um, to ride at an endurance or zone two intensity, but I think um, it's just very misunderstood and it's kind of being overutilized. We need all the intensities to make someone fit and zone two fits in that um, just like everything else. Um, and I think in general, the training zones are really poorly misunderstood. So these training zones mm -hmm. were actually, when they were kind of created, when we started training with power meters, they were created as like um, a descriptor of 
you know, looking at someone's power output, now we can apply zones after the fact to describe what they did. Well, now we've mm. changed them to being prescriptive. And so we are targeting them. And that that's fine and good for training. But I think the result has been that people understand training zones as if um, like your body doesn't know what a training zone is. There's not hard edges with these training zones. It's very fluid. It's very dynamic. You don't like turn off one adaptation when you cross, you know, from one watt into the next training zone. And so the notion, you know, I don't know how many times like I've been riding with someone and they're like, oh, I, I can't ride this intensity. I'm getting out of my zone. And it just is honestly very silly um, because the body just doesn't work like that. Um, and so this, like we just see zone two, it's very popular right now. Um, mm. And I just, I, it gets under my skin a little bit because I do think um, it's, it's misunderstood. And I also think that um, we are missing it because we're missing other training intensities. Like I mentioned, you know, we used to always hear people kind of malign that zone three um, black hole. Well, we're kind of doing that with zone two now. Um, mm -hmm. People riding in zone two all the time. Although not this group, the Medulays, nobody knows what zone two is. <laughs> hard all winter in December, you know, it's all out. Um, there's no zone two. There. Oh, the Friday fun immigration ride is very zone two. -y. That's true. Well, okay. So, but this is another problem. It's like, okay. So now instead of actually <laughs> truly recovering, you're riding zone two, which is not true recovery. It's still too That's hard true. to be recovery. Hmm. So I guess um, <laughs> that's my point. <laughs> if if you specifically only rode team rides with me, Dwelle, I think, yeah, you, you're going to get into a lot of trouble when it comes to progression. But to Sarah's point, new young riders that gravitate towards the team they see like a lot of quick, like people become quick, very, they become very good very quickly when they start riding with us. And then three or four years later, they're like, I'm really tired. This is, I'm, this. <laughs> yeah, that's the burnout that we talked about before. Yeah. And the, the bummer is when you have gotten fast over those few years by doing the group rides, for example, and all of a sudden now you're not progressing anymore. People usually like double down and then try to ride harder when the answer is that just wasn't a sustainable thing. So yeah, it helped you initially, but now you need to back up a little bit and try a different approach, um, likely incorporating a little bit more um, recovery. Nice. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot on the outline. I don't want you to yeah. miss anything here. Well, okay. So I started, what I wanted to get across was that I think this current obsession with zone two, and again, that's not to say that it doesn't have a ton of benefits. Like I kind of listed out some of the um, adaptations that we get from riding in zone two, which is <laughs> increased mitochondrial density, muscle capillarization, plasma volume, oxygen utilization, um, glycogen or glucose uh, storing and sparing, fat utilization, MCT1 expression, which is a, um, it's monocarboxylate transporters, which is a certain <laughs> type of lactate um, clearing transporter. So these benefits exist, and I'm not saying that they don't, but the thing is, you can also get all of these adaptations by riding in kind of zone three or zone four. And the, the downside is that when you ride at that zone three, zone four, slightly higher intensity, you do get an increase in central nervous system fatigue. So that is why we are hearing about the benefits of zone two, because you get all those benefits, those training adaptations without the additional central nervous system fatigue. And we're always kind of in this interplay fighting for adaptation versus fatigue. However, the, the reason that zone two or zone two becomes really effective when you can do a huge volume of it. So it actually, um, you know, when you hear about a polarized training model, that's when zone two really works. And now this is going to get a little bit confusing because the polarized model is actually based on a three zone model of training where what we are calling zone two is actually their zone one. And they are trying to avoid that zone two, which is what we are calling kind of zone three and zone four. So my point is the polarized model is based on doing a ton of really easy riding. 
and a very small amount of riding over threshold vo2 and anaerobic riding and it, it's very little what we call zone three zone four kind of tempo sweet spot threshold intensity and the reason that it works is because you get all this volume in and you don't get that central nervous system fatigue but the vast majority of people that i coach and i think i suspect people on the medulla team um people who have jobs, families, whatever, anything else in their life besides cycling, they don't have the time to make use of all that riding at a low intensity. And since we can get very similar adaptation by riding, you know, tempo, sweet spot intensity, um, it just works in their schedule much better. Um, and of course we do have to pay attention to the fatigue that's gonna come out of that. But um, I just don't think that that most people have the time to really get the benefit of um, this zone two that that we keep hearing about. Chair, you're nodding. Do you agree? Uh, totally agree. And I think um, especially as you get older and you're you know a master's athlete, um, more time spent um, doing hard intervals and then really recovering. So just the two, you know, the two opposite ends to me is so much more valuable um, and produces better results than extra time in zone two. And if you want extra time in zone two, I think that variety is key. And especially in the winter or your off season, mm. uh, do other things for endurance that move your body in a different way. For me, like more time on the bike in zone two is not going to make me faster at this point. My base miles are huge. I have endurance, you know, I can go do long events. Um, but sometimes when I want just that longer endurance workout, something like hiking, uh, skate skiing, swimming, if you like it, things like that. Um, I think can keep a lot of fitness and, um, keep the joints and tendons healthier just by moving in different planes and different directions. Nice. Yeah. And also keep motivation high to mix it up and do other stuff in the winter. Um, I also think there, you can get some real value out of zone two. Like if you do a set of intervals and you have some extra time, that's a good time to just kind of cruise around in zone two. Um, but to, to just be doing all your long rides, you probably need to do more volume than you have time for. Yeah. When, when it comes to like, if you guys were to, um, when you're looking at your own lives, right. Real life examples here. I mean, what is it that, that you constantly tell yourselves is the most important thing about when you're training and when you're planning out your week and when you're planning out workouts um are you this methodical sarah in your own personal construction of workouts for yourself um when is this something that you do or is it just your athletes i mean how do you does this question make sense yeah how, i do i want to know personally what you guys are doing that is really that is the key i do i still i mean chair mentioned that she plans out her week i still do too um and part of that i think comes from years of just knowing how this stuff works like I know too well how to make a training plan for myself um, to not do it. And I also just like having a goal. I guess the difference for me now that I'm not racing much is that I just, I don't stick to the plan quite as much. Um, but I definitely, I enjoy walking out the door um, with a goal and I just, yeah, I, I know too much to do anything different. What do you think, Chair? I mean, what you, you are, I mean, I would say you're just a, you as an athlete, very well balanced, very healthy. Um, are there a few things that are just the keys to making sure that you continue to have fun, progress? You know, it's a little bit of my personality, but I do like to have a plan and I do like to have a, a loose structure. You know, if I'm building up for a race, then, you know, I'm, I'm creating an actual plan that I'm following. If I'm not, I'm trying to stay fit so that I can have as much fun as possible on my group rides and my rides with my fast girlfriends. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm always like, how can I keep myself as fit as possible so that if I decide to sign up for something, I can do it. Um, I can ride with the people I want to ride with. I can do epic rides when I feel like it. So I'm always kind of trying to maintain that fitness, but I'm also now as I'm getting older, thinking about longevity 
And what can I do? You know, these like knees only have so many pedal strokes in them. And, you know, we, we're not going to last forever. So what, what can I be doing now that will benefit me in future decades so I can continue to be active? So that's kind of newer um, now that I've crossed the threshold into fifties. Um, but that's something I'm thinking about too. That's like the new 30 chair. 50 is not old. That's not, you know what? I feel 30, 35. Nice. Oh yeah. Um, (laughs) You know, I'm just the big sister sometimes on these group rides. (laughs) So cool. Well, this is fun. Uh, that transitions right into, um, uh, kind of our next topic, which is staying motivated. Um, I know there's a, there's kind of a, when I was first starting to race, that was the big motivator was like this thing that hangs over. Like I got to do an eight hour Saturday ride. Cause the load is coming. Um, there's a lot of people that are moving away a bit. Uh, I, me specifically, I've got mountain bike all, you know, all summer and fall with my girls, like going and training for races just kind of seems, um, it's like back, back burner. Um, can we talk about that staying motivated for, um, training and progression when it, when it's not revolving around a race? Is that okay? Is that good? Yeah. Sarah, you want to go first? Yeah. Or, um, let's see. I mean, I kind of said, you know, my personal spiel, I guess, you know, I mean, some of this comes down to like, um, personality type like do you enjoy having a structured plan and you know like Cheryl said maybe it's just a few key workouts that you um kind of check off each week and the the rest of it is a little bit more open I think that's a little bit dangerous because you can potentially um lose recovery in there if it's like you have three key workouts and then the rest is open I mean it could go either way right I think, but I do think, um, if, if the rest of the days just become like fun rides, then there's, there's not, um, true recovery (laughs) in there. Um, but I think largely just having some kind of backdrop of periodization, um, uh, allows riders to be consistent and ultimately consistency is, is what kind of keeps you fit and fast. I like that. And I like uh, AJ. Let it let it be known this morning on Strava. It's his rest week. I think that's so smart. Like, just take a week and be like, I don't know what he does on his rest week. Eat pizza. Like, what does he do on rest week, chair? I will tell you guys. He's he's very structured in his planning. He's very thoughtful, and he is so serious about recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, this he'll take a full week off now. I don't know. He'll help me Christmas up the place a little more or whatever. <laughs> But like if we, when we do trips to Hawaii, I end up biking, rider bikes, and Aaron literally lays on the beach for a week. Like he knows it's really, really healthy for him to have that time off. And I think he has some training cycle every 14 days. He takes, you know, two days off and one day easy, whatever. He's figured out what's working for him at this age. And he's, he's really, really diligent about taking the recovery. So important. Here, there were a couple of things that I want to make sure that you mention. Um, you had talked about in, in our outline, the book outlive. Um, and then I also wanted to, to highlight, um, we were supposed to talk about it maybe in your introduction, but, um, you had some really fun advice for people doing events and races, um, planning and how you look for the events and maybe your, your thought process behind that. Can you talk about those two things? Yeah. So just starting on the event. So when we talk about motivation, I mean, what keeps me motivated is I'm very selective now about signing up for events that work with family, family schedules, work with the type of training that I want to do. And usually um, it has to be somewhere beautiful, <laughs> either somewhere that, you know, it would get us a vacation somewhere that we normally don't, or the course itself is really beautiful. So I tend to choose shorter. I prefer shorter events than AJ. Um, I like more four to six hour events. And then I don't feel like I have to do these giant rides to prepare. I also feel like for me at this point in my life, like I've done Ironmans, I've done the really long 10 hour things. And it just kind of ends up, you know, you're out there alone and it's more about like survival. And I've done that. And now I'm more interested in 
you know, being around people going hard and finishing a few hours sooner, um, <laughs> you know, AJ, so speaking of some of the like gravel races we do now, I mean, you're out there a long time alone. And at one point there was, you know, like a BWR, the full distance race or something that AJ said he would do with ride with me. Cause I said, it's not that fun to be just out there alone. And I mean, I just laughed. I mean, he's never ridden a single thing with me ever. We've never, <laughs> we've never stayed together in a marathon. You know, we've never, we've never done anything like that. That's not ever going to happen. He doesn't have that in him. Um, but anyway, the motivation for me is really being selective about events. Um, and then I think when it comes to both training and selecting events, being really thoughtful with your spouse and with your family about how you do it. And I mean, there were many years where both of us, you know, we, one of us drove to the soccer game and one of us rode home from Provo or, right. you know, just finding ways to work the family, you know, into it. And then again, um, you know, choosing, you know, shorter events, if you need to, maybe one year it's doing the midweek mountain bike races. Um, cause it's a lot, you know, shorter time, a lot a shorter time commitment in the training and the racing itself, um, kind of being away from home. And then you mentioned, um, yeah, I mentioned the book Outlive, which uh, by Dr. Peter, Peter Atiyah, and it's a, it, I would recommend everybody read it, um, whether you're in your 30s, your 40s, or your 50s. It's basically um, the science of longevity and kind of how you keep your body going throughout the decades, and um, there's just a ton of good, useful information in there. Um, the highlight and the thing that most of this group knows is that exercise really is the best medicine. It's the very best thing you can do for yourself, um, followed closely by sleep. Um, and I will tell you, cause I know a lot of people on this podcast are getting the five, six hours sleep to get up and do those early rides. And I did it for many, many, many years. And I swear I'm making up for lost time now. And now, you know, I just am getting all the sleep that I should have gotten all those years. But <laughs> nice. Anyway, read the book. There's a lot of good nuggets. Um, I think that everyone can learn from that book. Yeah. He's got a great podcast too. Very cool. Yes, he does. Um, can we talk about training for old folks, for older people? Is that okay? Just kidding. I don't want to call masters old folks. I mean, we're all masters here. It's okay. We are. <laughs> Although my, I used to, I used to be coached by Alex Grant, huge shout out to him. He took fourth yeah. uh, yesterday out of the national cycle cross. So it was pretty cool to see him in the master's group. So that was fun. Nice going, Alex. He's not listening, but good job. <laughs> can we talk about that though? Training for masters, kind of what we do as we uh, get a little older, Sarah, can, uh, can you share a few uh, things that might help our masters listeners? Yeah. I mean, the main thing that changes is our ability um, to recover. And so we just want to account for that in training. Um, we start to lose a little bit of that top end, which is kind of the, any intensity over threshold. So we're going to want to focus a little bit more on that top end, but also make sure that we're factoring in um, enough recovery in order to, to effectively do that. Um, so it does become, you know, a little bit more individual just because those kind of declines in our ability to recover and also our ability to produce power at the top end is the, the rate at which it declines, the way that it declines is going to be um, kind of different for everyone, certainly different for men and for women. Um, mm. So, you know, some kind of um, uh, like concern or um, arrangement for individuality is going to be um, important there. Um, I, I made a note here. I noticed specifically for masters women that they don't tend to get as much out of back-to-back -back sessions. Like part of what, particularly this time of year that I'm programming for a lot of people is like two, three, even four day, like mini blocks within a micro cycle of training or within a week of training, you, we will pile some back-to-back -back sessions on. And part of that is because a lot of people are riding the trainer right now. So the sessions are a little bit shorter, but we can because we want to be focused on endurance this time of year, we can get some of that, even though we're doing shorter sessions, we can get some of that stimulus out of back-to-back -to, -back, to back to back sessions. But for masters women, I find that they, they do a little bit better with, um, you know, kind of separating hard sessions um, by at least a day. So, you know, for mm -hmm. example, that's one change that I might make um, for masters women. With masters men, it seems to vary more whether they 
um, really respond well to back-to-back -back sessions or if they need, um, you know, a, a little bit of recovery um, between sessions like that. Um, yeah, I did make a note that, you know, depending on where you're at in your master's journey, you know, a lot of times, well, for example, like you mentioned, Alex at, 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 um, master's cross nationals, it's like they have masters starting at 30, I think 30 to 35 is a master's category. Whoa. <laughs> baby masters, babies, <laughs> <laughs> baby masters. I mean, yeah, they're straight up babies. Right. But, um, at any rate, you know, when you're talking about people who are a little bit older than that, 50s, 60s, well, now these people might be retiring, they're empty nesters. So they often have a ton of time, which is great on the one hand, we can make use of that, but it can get people in trouble because their recovery has, um, their ability to recover has declined a little bit, but they have all this time. So that's kind of a recipe for overdoing it. But if we kind of go into the training with the knowledge that we're going to want to compensate for a little bit of that um, reduced recovery, we can make really good use of the time um, effectively, ironically, with um, zone two, which we talked about before. <laughs> I was going to highlight the word ironically. Mm -hmm. It's funny. I've spent a lot of time with Paul Watson, uh, older rider in his 60s on the team, and he started substituting maybe 10 years ago. He started substituting rides for weight for weight sessions yes. so instead of multiple five-day weeks where he's training bikes he'd be like no now i'm doing three days on the bike two days of hard heavy lifting in the gym as his muscle mass started to decrease uh and he, I, I don't know if you guys know paul but what he's incredibly fit uh continues to ride at a very high level and um like kind of like model lifestyle as a as an older masters athlete um pretty cool to watch so yeah and that comes back to something that Cheryl was talking about like um the emphasis shifting for her from this kind of performance aspect to more optimized health and i think that's kind of a natural progression for a lot of masters um like they're not trying to optimize every aspect of their performance as, as much as they're just trying to be a healthy happy um, well-functioning human as they age and certainly um, focusing on on strength a strength component within your training is is really important for optimal health as we age yeah I would say for anybody 40 plus that you should definitely work strength into your routine even if it means sacrificing a little bit of bike time and then if you're 50 plus like for sure minimum twice a week even better if you can do three times a week um, also things like plyometrics. I do two little 10 minute sessions of plyometrics a week, super yeah. important for women and for masters, um, mobility, of course. Um, I mean, these are the things that not all of us love, but if you can cut back your cycling a little bit of, a little bit to work these into the schedule, I think it's good. And even your hard training sessions or trainer sessions, if you can cut 15 minutes back on that, so you can do 15 minutes of core work, it's nice. I promise going to benefit you more than another 15 minutes of spinning. Great idea. Okay. Well, we're going to need some videos on Strava of chairs, plyometric sessions. <laughs> Nobody wants yes. to see it. <laughs> <laughs> That's such good advice. Uh, I've heard that advice before that if you know, you're doing a two and a half hour ride, just cut. 30 minutes, 15 minutes, and add weights instead. That's great advice. Very cool. Sarah, I linked your, uh, I'll link your website. Thank you. Um, into the show notes in both YouTube and um, on the podcast links. Is there a better way to connect with you? Is this the best way? That's great. I mean, you also shared my Instagram post. I'm definitely on Instagram. Um, people can find me there as well. Okay. One thing that I really love, and Cher mentioned this earlier about Sarah, uh, I just love your thoughtful nature when it comes to connecting with your athletes. I think it's the coolest part is that you really um, like we met, we met once we did like an interview it was probably three years ago. And there was honestly so eye opening the questions that you were asking me almost like you were um, not wanting to know my athletic nature, but more of my psychology behind <laughs> what, what may, what would make it work. And that I think is a real cool key to working with you and, and seeing you as a coach. So thank you. Yeah. Chair, closing thoughts. I think we've done it. I think that was great. <laughs> okay. Let's wrap it up. Thanks, guys. This is really fun. Yes. Thanks Fair. for having me. You bet. Thank you both. Bye.